You're listening to NGSC Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSCSports.com where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSC Sports' YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NGSC Sports and like us on Facebook. NGSC Sports. We never stop. Wait, so is that, are you talking about when we got him from Don's? Yeah, well, before y'all got him. Right, well, that's what I meant, like, in that same time period. Yeah, um, this was before, well, yes, in the same time period, but um, before y'all eventually got him. Wow. He had basically all but, he had, he had all but agreed to go to Liverpool. Yeah, basically, um, like, just, uh. Yeah, you know, the the snag came down to wages. So good times. You could you could have had Deli Ali. Well, it uh, it would obviously look a hell of a lot better than our midfield now does. That's true. That's true. You know and, what? And he would be a twenty-one-year-old uh, England player. You know what? Uh. You know what your inf- uh, midfield does look better than? Mm, what's that? <laughs> it's the Foreign Affair podcast. Oh, oh. You, you, you know it. You know the podcast that I enjoyed listening to that I made you listen to a little bit on the way to Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, the talking shop podcast. Yeah. Well, Ed, they they always build themselves as hashtag the worst podcast in the world. Uh huh. Well, now that those two guys are on their way to WWE, um, they no longer do their podcast. <laughs> so uh, I'm thinking about sending them a tweet and uh, requesting uh, use of the hashtag. Oh, well, that would be fine because that, that seems more than appropriate for the Foreign Affair podcast. I am Edward Green, joined as always by my call in crime, Wes Bradshaw, here for episode 90 of the pod on the NGSC Sports Network at NGSCSports.com. We never stop. And, of course, you can find us on social media. They are at NGSC Sports. We are at AFA Pod. He's at West Bradshaw 21, and I am at Edward Green. Folks, we have a big, big weekend. I know I say, I feel like I say this every time, but this was an especially big weekend. Uh, We had a lot of craziness in what has already turned out to be a zany 2015-16 Premier League season. Uh, We had some... All right, FA Cup replays, which we discussed last week, shouldn't even really be a thing anymore, but they are, so we had to play them. We'll recap the couple from the last two days. We'll get into some news and notes. There's some transfers abound, as well as one big signing, potentially, depending on fake Twitter accounts, if they're to be believed, uh, for one uh, young United States star. 
We'll, of course, also finish up the show with our other big story of the week, Watch For and So Raw. So, Wes, as we uh, we love to do, we love to go in um, chronological order here, which means, unfortunately for you, uh, we, we will have to start off with a Liverpool loss. I am, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's all right. We're going to end strong. That's 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 what we do. We build we build to a mighty crescendo. Uh, well, so with that, let us start our Premier League recap. So it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the end of Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, yeah, it's just like that. It's Thank you, John Damn toffee. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so here's what happened this week in the Premier League. Uh, as for uh, Southampton West Brom, it was James Ward-Prowse who used a free kick to quickly put the Saints ahead against West Brom. After a half hour, Craig Dawson brought down Matt Hardy in the box, which allowed WP to collect his brace on a penalty. Southampton put the game away on the counter with a low goal at a tough angle by one Deuce, Deuce and Tadic. Only Newcastle have scored fewer away goals now than Tony Pulis's side in the Premier League, and West Brom do not add to the total on this day as the scoreline finishes Southampton 3, West Brom 0. Everton, yes, Everton, those toffees, they play their fourth match of the season, hashtag crazy, and yet despite playing in these four insane matches this year, they have only taken now two points from them. They they are hard luck point losers right now. All the scoring came in the second half. First for Everton, a John Terry own goal, thanks to Leighton Baines. And then he found, uh, Baines found Kevin Morales to make it 2-0. But Chelsea roared back for one of the first times this year. First on a Fabregas-Tacosta connection, thanks to maybe a bit of a dodgy effort by United States goalkeeper Tim Howard. Then Fabregas scored himself two minutes later off a deflection in the box. Gerard Delefeu found Funes Mori right at the brink of the 90 to feel like they gave Everton all three potential points. But just like at Bournemouth, but just like against Stoke... Oh, there was late drama going against Roberto Martinez's side as John Terry, he comes back and redeems himself in front of the Stamford Bridge faithful. He scored almost a full minute after the time probably should have been called. And and he was also totally offsides. But no matter, his boot saves a point for the goose hittings as it finishes Chelsea 3, Everton 3. Wes, I believe you caught the very tail end of this match if uh, if your text messages to me were to be believed. Yeah, I mean, I literally caught um, right when Everton took the lead. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is the second time this year that I've just happened to flip on an Everton match right when they take the lead after 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they give it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first was the Bournemouth match about a month ago. Yep. So it, this is kind of like a this is kind of like a movie that you've seen before from Everton. Uh, and this time, uh, well, we'll call this a sequel. And as we know, in the sequels, the uh, the villain still never dies, and no one's more of a villain than good old JT. Oh, John Terry just keeps impregnating women and scoring goals. Maybe that's really the same thing. Either way, it's John didn't... Terry is the Jason Voorhees of the Premier League. That's you. You can't actually kill him. Every time you think he's dead, you have to just repeatedly stab him to make sure. Um, elsewhere, it was the Cherries 
who tried to stay up with an enterprising win at the Vitality. Dan Gosling, oh, the dreamy Dan Gosling, headed in the first goal for Bournemouth inside of 10 minutes. In the second half, Bournemouth earned a penalty taken by the Charlie Daniels Band before Benek Ayobi finished it with 15 minutes to play. As the scoreline was AFC Bournemouth 3, Norwich nil. Uh, crazy Joe Hart started the match for Manchester City against Crystal Palace with a great save on a header uh, by Delaney for Palace. And then it was Fabian Delft's turn to put Man City out in front with a maybe speculative at best shot from way outside the box. He did take a deflection and it beat Wayne Hennessy. Now, again, Sergio Aguero made it 2-0 as he also had a deflected shot that went in outside of the box to put City up cruise control at the break. Fluid movement from City gave them a third with pass after pass after pass inside the 18-yard box, finally finding Aguero for a chip-in. And lastly, with him on a brace, Aguero then found David Silva to finish off the game as he added a fourth to temporarily return a City atop the Premier League table, a day to forget for Alan Pardew's men as it's Manchester City 4, Crystal Palace 0. Um, and Wes, th- this is one of those matches where it feels like, you know, I tapped Crystal Palace to finish 7th in the league and really take a step forward, and we've seen them do excuse me, quite well in a lot of matches this year. Played City very well at home, uh, only losing 1-0 late on a Kelly Nacho goal. But it's matches like this that make me think, how how far have they really come so far this year? Well, right now, Palace is dealing with a kind of an injury crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously not helping them out. Um and they're, and they're just they're one of those clubs you know right now in the Premier League these the teams that are more historically the lower table teams mm-hmm. they vastly improve their starting 11s uh-huh from what they usually are but um the difference in being a top six side and being a mid table to uh, relegation fighter a lot of times it comes down to depth yeah comes down to how many good players in a certain position you can have (laughs) and uh right now that's kind of catching up to palace it is a little bit so we'll see if if they try to make any big moves in this january transfer period uh elsewhere iozzi perez got newcastle off on the right foot spurned on by new signing john joe shelby he made it uh perez made it one nil and then gigi wanaldum would turn in a cross in the box also thanks uh in part to john joe uh to make it two nil over west ham at the half sebastian yelovic uh took advantage of bad newcastle keeping to get back within one for the hammers but they could not find an equalizer as the match finishes newcastle two west ham one it was an absolutely dreadful start for tottenham uh which gave way to sunny skies at the lane eventually uh patrick van arnholt scored for sunderland just inside of 40 minutes uh to give them the lead but spurs answered immediately less than a minute after the restart christian erickson followed up harry kane's rebound to level it at one and then in the second half musa dembele returned made his return as a starter to Spurs to make it 2-1 with an absolutely 
great individual effort in the box. Uh, Erickson's long-range deflected effort made it 3-1, and Kane capped it with a penalty earned by Danny Rose being fouled in the box as it finished Tottenham 4, Sunderland 1. The Foxes and the Clarets played a great one uh, on Saturday. Leicester got on the board inside half an hour when Shinji Okazaki put in a deflected shot uh, after uh, Jamie Vardy took the initial shot on goal. The Foxes did have a penalty chance also in the first half, but Rudy Mares saw his efforts saved to keep it 1-0, and the Foxes would rue their missed opportunity as Villa finally found the back of the net despite being denied multiple penalty appeals, which I didn't realize it was you know, legal to use your arm to completely forearm shiver an attacking player and that's okay now apparently to some referees uh but Rudy Gestead used all sorts of hands including his own and possibly Leicester players as well on his great individual effort as it finished a well-deserved scoreline Aston Villa won Leicester won Wes a huge game for Villa to try and get three points less out of the danger zone still in last place but as for Leicester are are we starting to see them kind of slow down a little bit? You know, it it was really hard. To me, it's still really hard to see this being a team that finishes in the top four. Mm-hmm. I think this might have signaled that, you know, they're not title contenders. Well, and especially to an extent coupled with the result from today that we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you take the day for what it's worth. Um, I still think this is a team that can finish in the top four, but I think um, I think we just saw quality-wise. I, I, kind of like what I said earlier, I just don't know if they have enough depth mm-hmm. to take this down to the wire and win the league. Yeah, that 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 is going to be but a story they, now. They started, but they started so well. Yeah, and they still do play well. That it is still a team with um, aspirations of the top four. And you do have to wonder how much different this match would have been had uh, Marez been able to convert his penalty and make it two nil. Um, that might have been enough to put the game away. But that's that's one of those things when you're a top four, a team with top four aspirations, you've got to take advantage of every opportunity you're given. And Wes, after they kind of they kind of managed their really tough period, now they're starting, you know, kind of kind of a second, you know, maybe tough proving ground here for Leicester. Uh, they're gonna get Stoke uh, this next week, and I'm trying to pull up their schedule now, and it's not really working. Um, let me, let me see if I can pull that up here. Clubs. Oh, this is, this is riveting, riveting podcast material right now. Leicester City scores and fixtures. We scroll down and here we are. So they will be taking on Stoke next week, as we mentioned. Uh, then they get Liverpool at home. They're away to Man City. They're away to Arsenal. And that takes them up to Valentine's Day. Uh, that's, you know, you can say what you want. They do get Stoke and Liverpool at home, but that is going to be, Wes, a very rough four-game stretch for them, potentially. Um, you know, without a doubt. And, you know, this year, I think this year of all years in the Premier League, <clears throat> it's kind of been proven sometimes it doesn't matter if you're at home. <laughs> 
you know, there are so many teams who have found ways to have good form on the road um, that, you know, I don't think anyone looks at the King power and is like, oh, that's a fortress. That's a fortress. They don't get beat there. So they're definitely going to have their hands full. Uh, Stoke, Stoke's a team that seems like they're improving. Liverpool, you just you just don't know what you're going to get from Liverpool. That's true. Um, they can be they can be world beaters, or they can look like a team in a relegation scrap. So it's just whoever decides to show up that day. And then, of course, they will also be uh, traveling to City and Arsenal. So uh, the two teams that are also in that top four. So we'll see how it goes for Leicester in the coming weeks. We'll know we'll know a lot more about this team's uh, not just title chances, but potentially top four chances uh, in the coming month. Uh, speaking of two of those teams, though, that's uh, Leicester will be playing soon. Uh, Stoke and Arsenal played a very contentious physical affair with absolutely no yellows. As as both managers uh, kind of pointed out after the match at the Britannia, uh, Arsene Wenger pointed out it was uh, very contentious. It was very, very physical. It was... Uh, it was uh, very dirty, and that's that's what he would have said if he, you know, didn't care about being fined. He would have said it was dirty, dirty, dirty. And then Mark Hughes basically said, "Well, you know, there's no yellows, so go screw yourself." That's how it was. Um, but it, I will say, uh, as physical as the game was, and as rough as the game was, um, both keepers in this one, Jack Butlin and Peter Chech. Both had absolutely phenomenal games. They were they were did very well to keep both teams off the score sheet. Piercheck in particular uh, had a double save that would rival just about anything that's been done in the Premier League this year. Uh, and that is how we got to Stoke nil, Arsenal nil. Uh, Wes potentially, you know, some people may think a drop two points for Arsenal. But uh, teams have gone to Stoke and done much worse. So is is are we finally st- seeing, dare I say, Arsenal steal? Um, I would almost say so because you know one thing. Well, yeah, I just I just went on my whole rant about the home not meaning that much. Um, but I I believe I heard a stat that Arsenal had not won at the Britannia in eight tries. Uh, at least it's been at um, least six. Think, yeah. I believe it was, I, I want to say it was eight. Um, and even with those, it hasn't always been easy for them just to find a point. So, you know, people have always kind of used Stoke as an example of how the Premier League can be absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. So I think anyone who goes to Stoke and comes out with, uh, comes out with any sort of a result at the end of the day, they're like, all right, whatever. This is behind us now. We don't have to come back. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's that's what's going on there. Um, the Monday game uh, saw Ashley Williams get pick up the only goal. This was for Swansea against Watford. He headed in the first goal for the Swans. Uh, Ashley Williams may have turned into the GOAT as he appeared to foul Ingolo for Watford in the box, but the referee pushed the appeals aside. Bafatemi Gomez, we haven't mentioned him in quite a while, Wes, almost made it 2-0 in stoppage time, but could only find the far post. Still, it is three crucial points for the Swans as it finishes Swansea 1, Watford 0, and Wes, uh, Kike Flores, 
was the manager of the month. Uh, Ingolo was player of the month in the Premier League, but suddenly this is a Watford side that has now lost four straight. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's just how the Premier League runs sometimes, especially for these teams that are more mid-table. Um, they can get on really good runs, and then all of a sudden just nothing can go right for them. And that suddenly is where Watford finds themselves is uh, just in that in that tough run. But luckily for them, kind of like a squirrel preparing for the winter, Ed, uh, they were able to store away some points uh, having a good run. Yeah, what, what, what do we say? You got to get to uh, got to get to forty to be safe. Gotta usually, got to get to forty. Got to get to forty. All right. Well, then, uh, in that situation, Watford, who's still in you know, as we say, pretty good position here, even having lost four straight, they need mm-hmm. to find eleven points in their next sixteen matches. So, I think it. there's a quite, a quite a good chance for them to do that. So I don't. I don't think Watford's panicking. Yeah, not yet. I, I think I think this side is just a little too good and presents too many matchup problems to uh, to go down after after being promoted this season. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes with other uh, promoted sides, including Bournemouth and Norwich, who are currently dangerously close to the drop zone. Uh, our final match, uh, tears from Anfield, however. And we must report this as a late winner, somewhat, uh, somewhat in quotation marks, against the run of play seals their fate. Liverpool had dozens of shots in their derby against Manchester United and multiple quality opportunities, but David De Gea kept all of them at bay. And then with less than 15 minutes to play, Marwan Fellaini headed a corner off the crossbar and an unmarked, yeah, unmarked, Wayne Rooney put in the rebound to seal the victory for Louis van Gaal's army as it finished Liverpool nil, Manchester United won. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's first match, yes, against Manchester United? Correct. All right. Um, so yes. take, take us through, Wes. Um, I watched it. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, I, I don't think it's unfair at all to say United's goal came against the run of play uh it's their only shot on target and as was mentioned multiple times by rebecca Lowe, uh manchester united this season have four shots on goal in two games against liverpool and they've scored four goals so they haven't been very good at getting into the area and shooting but when they have they've been deadly effective um take take us through what is i i have to imagine a a very disappointing result with how the team played overall i was gutted i don't blame you absolutely gutted um i mean for a team to go out and just absolutely dominate a match the way liverpool did and then to not only not only you know not get a result but to lose yeah on not i'm I'm not gonna call it a fluke goal because it wasn't a fluke. I mean, Rooney was there. Rooney took it well. It was what it was. But, I mean, you talk about against the run of play. I mean, United never even looked dangerous the entire yeah. match. They never looked dangerous. You're not I mean, Simo Mignolet was having a nice, quiet afternoon, just kind of chilling. You know, came out, got a couple of balls, and, you know, was doing what he was supposed to do. And then for that to happen, of course, it comes off a corner where Liverpool have been just absolutely dreadful Mm -hmm. trying to defend corners this season. 
uh, say this season, this is kind of an ongoing issue uh, for whatever reason. Um, as for as for the zero that Liverpool put on the board, um, they 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 had so many chances and yeah. had no end product whatsoever. Um, it was. I mean, as a Liverpool fan, I'm just sitting there shaking my head like, you know, just the the odds say that something has to go in. Right. But needless to say, it did not. Um, Liverpool, once again, create, create, create. They don't finish. And let me give you a quick season summary of Liverpool. Sure. Um, and and this will just show you how mind-numbing watching Liverpool can be sometimes. Liverpool this season have taken 365 shots, which is good enough for second most in the Premier League. They've created 295 chances, once again, good enough for second in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And here's where it gets fun. Their chance conversion is 10.3%, good for 19th in the Premier League. That's not good. So there you go. They're creating chances. They're getting shots as good, if not better, than almost everyone in the league. And then all but one team, who I'm quite sure is probably Aston Villa, <laughs> uh, they, they, they can't finish. They have no finishing touch. And then let's talk about the defense. Uh, Liverpool have conceded nine goals from set pieces, which is good for 19th, and seven from corners, which is good for dead fucking last. Uh. I, I mean, that, that's Liverpool. That is Liverpool season in a nutshell. Hmm? Um you know, we've talked about it in the past. Um, Danny Ings, especially, was kind of uh. a polarizing summer transfer this past year mm-hmm. because uh, you had people saying, oh, what are you doing? He only scored 10 goals. Oh, and he played for Watford, and they got relegated. And all you kept hearing from the Liverpool camp, which is so true, was yeah he scored 10 goals and and barely got like a chance a game right just wait till he comes where we where we have all these creators we have all these guys who can create he just needs something that he just needs a ball to get on the end of and of course you know danny ings as soon as he comes in he starts showing some really good form and then tears up his knee for the season right um daniel sturridge would be absolutely thriving in what Liverpool is doing right now. Mm-hmm. And of course he's hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. Even when he doesn't play, he's hurt. Yeah. Um, and you know, after that, you, yes, you know, Liverpool spent big on Christian Benteke and just unfortunately, and I, I hate it for Benteke. He's just not in a good situation because all these chances that are being created, they're not the chances that Benteke is, you know, built to turn in. Uh-huh. You know, Benteke loves a good cross in the box. We're not very good at that. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't run into open space, of which we create. We do create a lot of open space. Benteke is not a guy who runs into it. Sturridge maybe Sturridge is probably the best striker in England at running into space. Uh, definitely one of the best in Europe of running into space. 
Ings was showing that he was really good at running into space. And, of course, we can't get either of those guys on the field, as we said. Um, the guys, the Firminos, the Lalaza, and Firminos actually seems like almost being moved into a striker position right yeah, now. Yeah, it looks but, like it. Uh, you know, the Lalanas, the Coutinho's, the Hendersons, the Chans, those guys, the Milners, they're doing – they're doing what they have always done, which is create chances. Let me say, there's just nobody putting the ball in the goal. And here's another problem for Liverpool. It's great to have all these guys who create chances in midfield. It would be really nice if we had a midfielder who could score. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and this is obviously coming from a club who had Steven Gerrard, who I think four or five times in his career had 20 goal seasons from midfield. Right. Um, and even when he wasn't scoring 20, you know, he was, he was in, he was a double digit goal scorer every year. Yeah. You can say some of that was padded by um, penalties, but Gerard up until the last few years of his, uh, of his, uh, career at Liverpool, Gerard scored from open play and he mm -hmm. did it very well. Um, obviously you're not straight replacing Steven Gerard, but you know, Jordan Henderson, Emre Chan, Lucas, Joe Allen, well, I'm about to say this. Joe Allen's kind of proven me wrong the last couple of times. Those are not guys who are going to score you double-digit goals. Mm -hmm. uh, Lalana has shockingly just completely lost his scoring touch for whatever reason. Um, you know, he, he used to be good for 10 to 12 goals at Southampton. And even last year, Liverpool scored seven. I believe this year he's got one. Mm -hmm. You know, Jordan Ive is a fantastically exciting youngster out on the wing who just hasn't put it all together yet. Uh, when it comes to scoring, he's he's not a real goal threat right now. So, I mean, the problem is with Sturridge out, with uh, Ings out, with Benteke, I'm also going to give Benteke, this is someone Benteke that kind of gets glossed over. Benteke is coming off of an Achilles injury. And when I say coming off, it's been about a year, but, you know, that's something that, that, that takes time for you to get back into it. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of hoping maybe Benteke can turn it on here in the second half of the season. Maybe – I just – I don't think he's been 100% yet for Liverpool. Um, but, but, I mean, that's the problem for Liverpool. They just – they don't have any real scoring threats right now. And and we will mention it a little later. I'm not sure how much of the uh, the FA Cup replay you saw today um, or or heard about uh, today. No, I'll, listen to, I'll listen to it, but I didn't get to watch any of it. Um, I, I was able. They did show some highlights because I, I saw the uh, the Spurs Leicester match on Fox Sports One. They were covering it there, uh, and they did have some breakaway highlights because Liverpool was actually on FS Two. Um, I, I, I assume then you did hear about Benteke's uh, pretty golden chance uh, on a header uh, early on in that, in probably about twenty thirty minutes into that match. Um, I, oh, yeah. I just I I wonder. I just wonder how his mentality is right now. And that I don't think – I think physically he looks fine. Um, I, I think at this point he is probably over that Achilles injury. I just wonder now after going through, coming in as a, as a big signing, having to change managers, to go from someone who, who bought you to someone who – not that he doesn't want to use you, but his system doesn't really take advantage of a lot of your strengths to a team that doesn't mm -hmm. really play to a lot of your strengths. Where, 
where is his mental mindset? I'm not accusing him of pulling an Emmanuel Adebayor. You could be welcome no. for you could be welcome to that Crystal Palace, but <laughs> but I I do have to wonder just just where his mindset is. I mean, we saw it at Spurs. Not, I don't think that it's the same type of player, but we saw it with Soldado. You know, a guy who just for whatever reason you know, couldn't find the back of the net really for Spurs, despite being a really good goal scorer. And then, of course, he goes back to La Liga and can beat Real Madrid. So I just, I, I wonder how much of it is mental right now for Benteke. Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, um, you know, he's got to be, he's got to be frustrated. I mean, here's the guy, he makes the huge big money move, you know, second biggest transfer fee in Liverpool history. Uh, by the way, the biggest one was Andy Carroll. How did that work out? Yeah. Um, so obviously, we're not doing too well with these. Um, you know, he makes the big move. He steps into the spotlight. Playing striker for Liverpool, it, it, it's a glamorous position. I mean, just look at the guys who've come through in the years. Look at the guy he's actually being asked to pretty much replace. That was Luis Suarez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had a lot of pressure coming in. There were a lot of people who doubted that he fit into um, the mold of what Liverpool wanted to play. And this was even with Rodgers. Oh, yeah. we. I mean, we, we talked about that at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And, I mean, I've kind of got to agree with that. It's kind of a strange signing for Liverpool because this, this isn't how our old manager played. And it's not how our new manager plays. But we spent £32.5 million on the guy. So, <laughs> I mean, you're kind of stuck with him unless you can find somebody who – is just begging to spend money, and unfortunately, we're not dealing with Manchester United. Mm. Um, he's got a lot of pressure on him. I think he's pressing a lot, you know, because what well, they always say, well, you know what, scoring some goals, that'll cure everything. Yep. All right, well, let me go score some goals. Shit, it's not going in for me. <laughs> so it is, I mean, the guy's got to be under a lot of pressure. He's got to be feeling the heat. Um, Liverpool, obviously, they're passionate. They have opinions. You know, you're always being compared to everyone else. You know, he's being compared to, you know, Suarez and Torres and, uh, you know, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, Dalglish, you know, Rush. He's been, that, that's who he's being compared to. And right now, he costs more than every one of them, and he's not living up to the billing right now. And, um, you know, the only thing that's going to fix it right now for Benteke is to start scoring goals. Certainly, and and he is going to have to start scoring goals, or or the calls will become louder uh, for maybe something to happen. Um, quickly, just before we we move on to the FA Cup, Wes, I I now have to ask the question: Was there a bit of truth to what Glenn Johnson said in the preseason? Remind me what the twit said. I can't really remember. Uh, basically, that the new signings <laughs> would not actually make Liverpool a better side after what they lost. Specifically, citing that they lost Raheem Sterling and that the the incoming crop of players would not really be able to replace him and others. Well, I mean that's it's understandable. It's not. I say it. I say it tongue in cheek a little bit because. Quite frankly, it, it, while he's been proven right, I don't think he's been proving right in the way he thought he would be um, because half the guys that were signed or actually maybe four of the guys that were signed just ended up getting hurt. And then Benteke, unfortunately, yeah. hasn't been effective. But really, other than that, I mean, it's it's 
he he's right, but not right in the way I think he thought he was going to be. And another thing is, you know, when you look at it, Liverpool never signed a direct replacement for Raheem Sterling. You know, Raheem Sterling's a guy who, God, for whatever you think about him, Raheem Sterling was as close to a world-class player as Liverpool had mm-hmm. consistently. You know, um, personally, I think uh, I think Sturridge is world-class when he plays. Um, yeah. Coutinho has the ability to be world-class, but he's nowhere near consistent enough. Sterling was close to being world-class. And no one Liverpool brought in was anywhere near that level. And we knew that. It was, um, you know, what you were hoping were the new guys, you know, the new guys could gel with the guys who came in last year who maybe underachieved some. And you were hoping that the collective of the team would be able to push above and beyond what maybe a couple of individuals were able to do. Right. Um, I mean, once again, you know, he just here's the entire deal with Liverpool. Daniel Sturridge being injured. It's not great. I mean, I mean that's that that's basically like that's almost like saying, all right, Liverpool are playing with ten and a half men. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Sturridge is that important to what Liverpool want to do. Mm-hmm. And when the guy's played three matches all year and you don't know when he's coming back, I mean it's it's frustrating. It hurts. Glenn Johnson's still an asshole, who cares? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's just it's very difficult right now because I'm just going to tell you, if Liverpool were healthy, which, you know, obviously teams are not going to always stay healthy. We know that. But I just think if Liverpool were healthy and Klopp, Klopp had his full array of players to choose from, I just think things would be looking a lot different right now. Here, here's the question. If Liverpool were healthy, would Klopp be there? Um, well, you know, one thing, I don't think, uh, they had not really fallen apart with the injuries when Rodgers left. Rodgers was just under such a microscope. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I think they were just looking, they are like, all right, just give us a reason. <laughs> and then when you gave them any reason and then Jurgen Klopp was there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this back when it happened. I, I mean, I said to you, I said, I, I felt the only way Liverpool pulls the trigger right now is if you get somebody like Jurgen Klopp. Right. And, and luckily that's who they got. So, um, you know, I think Rodgers was, Rodgers was always kind of doomed if Klopp would say yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think there still would have been maybe a turnover there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just think about, I mean, you, know, you put Sturge out there. Henderson stays healthy all season. You know, it's it's just I just think it's a different look right now for Liverpool, and I think they're fighting for a top four spot. Possibly. Well, there is always next year and still the latter half of this year. Um, let's get to your fixture list here uh, for this upcoming weekend of Premier League action. Uh, 7.45 a.m., Liverpool gets right back onto it with uh, a trip to Norwich, see if they can pick up three points there. At 10 a.m., you have a treasure trove of matches, including Crystal Palace, Tottenham, Leicester, Stoke. Again, that's a huge match. Another one that could be pretty good, Manchester United versus Southampton. Uh, Sunderland, Bournemouth, and a body Bottom table clash, Watford, Newcastle, West Brom, Aston Villa, and your 12:30 game is uh, West Ham, Manchester City at the Boiling Ground. Uh, on Sunday, you have two matches to choose from. At 8:30, it's Everton, Swansea, and then at 11, 
one that I'm sure looked much better on paper about, I don't know, six months ago. Arsenal-Chelsea at the Emirates. God, it would have been so good. Yeah. Now it's just uh, Chelsea trying to avoid relegation. Yes, that's all. which apparently Goose City thinks is still a thing. Um, well, let's take a look at how close they are now as we go to the Premier League table. Uh, Arsenal currently sit atop it. Uh, they are level on points with Leicester, but have a plus, or plus three to the good on Leicester in goal differential. Uh, Manchester City is one behind them in third place with 43 points. Tottenham still in fourth with 39. Uh, Manchester United in fifth with 37. And West Ham in sixth with 35. Uh, At the bottom of your heart, the relegation zone, Swansea climbs out with their win against Watford. They are in 17th place, but just 22 points. With 21 points in 18th is Newcastle. Uh, With 18 points in 19th place is Sunderland. And now up to 12 points is Aston Villa in 20th, but still 10 points clear of getting out of relegation. And of course, Aston Villa, one of those teams that has yet to actually be relegated from the Premier League. One of the original teams has been up the entire time. Can they survive? It's looking less and less likely, even with the draw against Leicester. All right. uh, So as we mentioned, there were FA Cup replays. Woo! So let's get to those scores uh, from the last two days of... The high... one that really matters, Ed. There you go. High stakes FA Cup replay action. Uh, your results were uh, Liverpool 3, Exeter City 0, uh, Aston Villa 2, Wycombe Wanderers 0, uh, Bristol City 0, West Brom 1, uh, MK Dons 3, Northampton Town 0, Pompey, Portsmouth, they get a 2-1 win over Ipswich Town. Uh, Bradford City uh, draws Bury nil-nil uh, in added extra time. Bury actually advances 4-2 on penalties. Uh, Bolton defeats Eastleigh 3-2. Eastleigh was the last remaining team outside the Football League in the FA Cup. So now it is all just league uh Top four league teams uh, in the tournament still. Uh, Reading beats Huddersfield Town 5-2. Yeovil Town uh, draws Carlisle United 1-1. Carlisle United advances 5-4 on pens. And uh, Tottenham Hotspur defeat Leicester at the KP 2-0. And finally, Blackburn Rovers beat Newport County 2-1. That actually wasn't a replay but uh, they had to move the match to Monday because of poor uh, pitch conditions after a lot of rain in Newport. But So Blackburn advance from that one. Uh, so we'll go through our two matches pretty quick here. Uh, Tottenham get a big 2-0 win against Leicester City. Uh, the third time in about two weeks that these two teams have played each other. And finally, Tottenham gets a win. Uh, Hyungmin Sun with a 39th minute wonder strike uh, when Tottenham were basically, as, as the announcer said, controlling the game. They weren't dominating the game, but they were clearly controlling the game. And then Nasser Chadley gets on the board in 2016 in the 66th minute with a great shot slotted just past Kasper Schmeichel. Uh, and that is how Tottenham advance in the FA Cup, gotta say it was a, a very, very impressive performance, uh, and it's it's one of those West where I can I can see, it, it, again you mentioned it is the FA Cup, so they didn't throw out their A roster right away. Mares didn't come on until later. Uh, Jamie Vardy didn't come on until later, um, but it, it's one of those where you can kind of physically see Leicester kind of starting to run out of steam, and that's what worries me. I don't think they're gonna fall too far but it, it's one of those matches where where Tottenham 
really just did whatever they wanted. They controlled the back line. They were they were rarely bothered. I think Vorm, who was in goal for Larice, had like one save to make in the entire match. Um, the back line was really troubled, rarely troubled, even without uh, the preferred center back pairing of Alderweireld and Vertonghen in there. Midfield did what they did. Nabil Bentaleb was back today for a start. Tom Carroll, you know, struggles with tougher defenders. Uh, didn't really have that issue today. And uh, Nestor Chadley scored a goal. So that was always good. Um, but again, I think this is where you're finally seeing some of that separation. You've you've talked about depth a lot. And and I, I think that that's where it's it's you could see it happening to Leicester. E- either either they were they're really starting to kind of lose a little bit just like maybe like five, six percent of their top top flight level, or they just truly didn't give a fuck. Like like that's it's and and I don't think they would actually do that. Well I mean, I wouldn't say it's not I don't think it's ever straight up not give a fuckness. Um but I think uh I, I just think there are teams that at this time of the year when those matches are coming hot and heavy, they are going to prioritize. And uh, I think for Leicester right now, Leicester feel more important than the FA Cup for them is the chance to try to solidify that top four spot. Yeah. Um, so I, I just that, that's how I feel. But I do think that they have prioritized the league over the cup, um, which, as we know, it uh, the anti Liverpool. That's what big teams do. Yes, very true. <laughs> that's what big teams are doing. So. Uh, yeah, I can understand it. Not to take anything away from anyone by any means, but um, I think Leicester just feel they have bigger fish to fry this year than the FA Cup. And, and we'll we'll see if that proves. And and I think you're right because again, you know, a, a Leicester win. You know, if you go won't win the FA Cup, you're just guaranteeing yourself a Europa spot. Uh, and that's really you know, despite Leicester, you know, if you told a Leicester supporter. And the uh, the end of the, the beginning of the season. Hey, by the way, you're gonna finish with the Europa League spot. I think every one of them would have like jumped at it. Really, to be honest with you, um, but but uh, I I don't think the FA Cup is the way they want to get it. Really, especially now that they're actually battling for a Champions League spot and at the moment still a title contender. Um, Wes, though, you you did say you listened to Liverpool Exeter City, um, three goals for. Liverpool, Welsh, Welsh Zavi, Wesh Pirlo, Joe Allen scores again, <laughs> as well as guys, uh, the, the names just keep on coming. I'm surprised you didn't mention this one in our game a couple weeks ago. Shei Ojo, he scores in the 74th, and someone I actually have heard of, João Carlos Teixeira, ends it in the 82nd. Uh, so what is your, uh, what is your take, quick take on the FA Cup match? Um... I mean, I, I did like the fact that Klopp once again trusted the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, now this time, you know, he was able to sprinkle in a little more, <laughs> a little more senior players in there. Uh, yeah, I, I do believe we have seen the last of Adam Bogdan. Yes. Um, yes. Mignolet played today. The only reason that Danny Ward didn't play was because he was not registered for the tie before the first tie. Mm-hmm. So basically, anyone who wasn't registered already. Uh, before they played Exeter, could not play the replay. But I've got a feeling you're going to see Danny Ward in the next FA Cup round against West Ham. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So, you know, you have Mignolet, Joe Allen played, started today. Uh, Jordan Ives started. 
uh, and of course Benteke. So that just gave you a little more solidity, mm-hmm. a few more guys who had been there. And, you know, I mean, for a lot, for a lot of those guys, you know, that would have been their first big run out um, at Anfield. Mm-hmm. And that just, that would have been a lot for some of them maybe to take in. So, you know, I think he did a good job of mixing in some some uh, experience with some of those youth players. But, uh, you know, the as they said, as, as I heard someone say, the kids are all right. But, you know, they look good today. I obviously don't think every guy on the field for Liverpool today is going to make it at Liverpool. But um, one guy you mentioned, like Shea Ojo, I think he's uh, – a lot of people feel he's definitely – a guy who could be figuring into Liverpool's plans very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Jal Teixeira is one who, it's like every time he plays, he does pretty well. It's just he's got to get his opportunities. But, you know, after today, um, you know, after today, there may be a little more trust coming from Klopp maybe to uh, play a few of these guys a little more. And we will see them, as you mentioned, uh, on January 30th at Liverpool when they take on West Ham. Uh, and that's gone so swimmingly already this year. But as we said with Tottenham, maybe the third time's the charm. Uh, here's your other matches, uh, starting on the 29th uh, with Derby County versus Manchester United. On the 30th, Colchester versus Tottenham, West Brom versus Peterborough, uh, Bolton versus Leeds, Arsenal, Burnley, Reading, Walsall. Aston Villa, Man City, Shrewsbury Town, Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest, Watford, Crystal Palace, Stoke, uh, Oxford, Blackburn, Pompey versus Bournemouth, Bury versus Hull City, uh, Car- and then Carlisle United, Everton on January 31st, along with MK Dons versus Chelsea. Uh, there are three League Two team sides. Again, that's Oxford United, Portsmouth, and Carlisle United, who look to keep advancing in the F. A cup. So those are your next matches in that tournament. Now, Wes, we have some news and notes to get to here. And uh, Swansea, after their their surprising fall from grace and the dismissal of Gary Monk, they have been waiting on appointing a new official head coach, and they have it now. Francesco Guidolin uh, is coming in. The Italian, uh, 60 years old, will come in to Swansea to uh, take charge of them. Uh, he has led... Uh, the Italian side Udense to a third place in Serie A, which was their highest uh, finish in Serie A and their most points they ever scored uh, and got them to their first Champions League campaign. Uh, he has also had three teams promoted, including Parma, Palermo, and Vicenza, um, where he actually uh, won the Italian Cup with them, uh, as well as the Cup Winners Cup semifinal, where they lost to Chelsea. We all know that cup, the Cup, Cup, Cupity Cup Winners Cup, Cup, Cup. Um, so that is uh, the new man in charge. Any any thoughts, Wes, on Guidolin coming into uh, Swansea? Um, they just need a new voice. They just needed. They just needed something. Yes. So uh, for for a team trying to avoid relegation, um, you'll take more chances, and that's exactly what Swansea have done. And they'll have to. Um, moving on from that, we have a couple of transfers. Of course, uh, the uh, the translucent Messi, Stephen Naismith, is heading over to Norwich from Everton. Uh, Charlie Austin is coming from Queens Park Reasons to uh, Southampton on a four million uh, pound. 
uh, transfer. So uh, Southampton trying to bolster their striking reserves uh, to go along with uh, Graziano Pele. Uh, it's actually going to be a four-and-a-half-year deal that uh, they sign Charlie Austin on, someone I know maybe some Tottenham fans kind of wish they had got. But Wes, that wasn't the biggest signing of this transfer period. Oh, no, sir. The biggest signing of this transfer period was someone who is clearly in-house. Someone aside really wanted to lock up for the long-term future. And that is why it was such a joy to find out that Liverpool have signed Simon Mignolet to a five-year contract. And as you can imagine, the, uh, the, the just immense gratitude on Twitter was, was, was so huge. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, the, the, the reaction for the Twitter... Moments like this where yeah. you just wonder if maybe the club just enjoys trolling its own fans. I like this um, from at uh, Harry Sethi uh, on Twitter. Announcing Mignolet's contract extension the day after a demoralizing loss to Manchester United is a masterful piece of PR by hashtag LFC. I just, I, and that's what I, under, I don't quite understand, Wes. If we, we've heard that the, Keeper was kind of an area Liverpool wanted to improve. Maybe not in the January market, but certainly in the summer. And and, and I don't think you're going to give a guy five years of a contract to sit on the bench as the number two. Uh, not like uh, Begovic is doing at Chelsea. So I, I have to ask, how do you feel about this? Well, and then it also comes on the heels of, of hearing that uh, we had a bid for uh, Barcelona's Mark Ter Stegen uh, yep. turned down. Yeah. We offered him like 20, 20 million pounds. So, I mean, it's just like, but, but I mean, this has been coming. I mean, I've been hearing about it for about a month that he was going to get an extension. Um, I, I mean, what? Oh, God. The only thing you can hug for here is that. Hmm. I don't even know what to hope for. Here's my deal with Liverpool in the keeper position. Once again, Bogdan never be seen again. Don't want to nope. see him. He's, he's gone. Danny Ward is a really, really highly rated young keeper. Um, you know, he's he's uh, under 21 in Wales. Um, he's been their starting keeper for a few years at the under 21 level. Uh, went to Aberdeen on loan this season and was one of the best keepers in the Scottish Premier League. He's only 20, 22 years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Which for a keeper, which for a keeper is basically like being like a sixteen-year-old striker. You know, keepers tend to mature later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like, I mean, like Petr Cech, there was no crazy, there was no backlash. Oh God, you signed a thirty-two-year-old keeper. What's wrong with you? No, that's like when they're in their prime is when they're 32. Right. So, you know, Danny Ward has a way to go still. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think is that either Liverpool have determined, okay, Danny Ward is going to be our number one going forward. So we're going to lock up Mignolet to give Ward time to mature into the position. Um. I don't really see that though. That's that's such a such a massive gamble yeah. to take on a young keeper. Um, 
the other thing I can think of is that they just went ahead and said, all right, you're number one for now. But if we come across a deal, um, you know, one guy who's been, uh, you, know, you mentioned him earlier, a guy who's been connected with Liverpool over the years has been Jack Butland. Uh-huh. Um, before going to Stoke when he was at, uh, I believe it was at Birmingham, um, Liverpool were really... Liverpool were definitely in the conversation to sign Butland at that point. You know, Butland is a young keeper, but Butland is one of those keepers who is very, very quickly maturing. Yes, I mean, yes, he is. You know, Joe Hart better watch. Joe Joe Hart better be looking over his shoulder at Jack Butland in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe after Euro. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, England go to Russia in 2018 and Jack Butland be their starting keeper. True. Um, and you know there have been taught there have been rumors that you know Liverpool may go back in for Butland. Obviously, there's an interest in Ter Stegen. You know, maybe you sign the guy just so you have some stability there. But if a Butland or a Ter Stegen, or you know, there's a couple other young German keepers that uh, it sounds like uh, Klopp may be really interested in. If one of those guys comes available. You bring them in, and then you're like, "All right, guys, goalkeeper uh, competition. Who who's going to take the number one spot?" Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's one of those spots where you know you always say you want competition there. So, yeah, maybe you just go ahead and lock in lock in Mignolet for the long haul, and, and unless you can find something better. That's a that's a very that's, optimistic sin. That's the o- yeah. That's the only thing I can tell myself, where I don't just like want to stick my head in the oven. There you go. Oh well, a lot of people who uh, who might feel that some uh, some young Americans should be playing overseas might have felt the same way. Um, whereas the back and forth for Jordan Morris, uh, would he go to Seattle? Would he go to uh, Werder Bremen as he was uh, training with them over the past couple weeks and apparently impressing them quite a bit? Um, it, it's been determined that he will be signing with Seattle. Possibly by the time you're listening to this podcast, they will have had the press conference announcing they're signing him. Um, there was a fake Twitter account today. Not a fake Twitter account. It was a real Twitter account, but a fake report from that Twitter account saying that uh, Morris had actually decided to go back to Werder Bremen uh, and sign a three-year contract with them, which would have been amazing. But uh, it, it turns out that uh, Morris is going to be coming back to America to play uh, for the team where his dad is actually an employee. I believe he's the head trainer uh, for the Seattle Sounders. And uh, Wes, this comes on the heels of uh, Portland Timbers owner Merritt Paulson actually ripping into Jurgen Klinsmann, since that is the trendy thing to do if you are part of MLS. Uh, he says, quote, there's no doubt that uh, Herzog, and, uh, referencing Andy Herzog, who said in a German publication that the, uh, the team's goal was to bring as many American players to Europe as possible. Uh, Paulson said, there's no doubt that Herzog was quoted correctly because that's an accurate sentiment among the coaches for the U.S. national team right now. That stems from the top and that stems from Jurgen. Uh, I don't think you're going to find a single MLS owner who's going to be an advocate for Jurgen Klinsmann. This is a guy who's got a clear agenda that's an anti-MLS agenda. He makes emotional decisions. Uh, Landon Donovan would be a case in point. There's very much an agenda to get people playing abroad and probably rewarding some people playing abroad who don't deserve to be playing. That's one opinion. That's my opinion. Uh, So Wes, with, with the news, you know, Jordan Morris has been 
very well liked when he's come in for the USMNT. He's, he's done quite well. He had the uh, he's had some big goals so far for them. Um, he he looked like he was on track coming out of Stanford to after his junior year, just won the national title to go pro. It looked like he was gonna maybe have this opportunity to go to Germany, and he's actually gonna stay in MLS. Um, personally. I, I'm actually kind of okay with it, given how young he is. Um, I'm not comparing their two talent-wise, but it could be another DeAndre Edlitz situation. Uh, play a couple years in MLS, keep building a reputation, and then and then going to to a European club, like someone in the Bundesliga or La Liga or uh, Syria, uh, Syria or uh, Lyon or even the Premier League and, uh, and getting those experiences there. I don't... I don't think it's that bad necessarily that a guy fresh out of college is going to start at MLS. Um, but I also don't necessarily agree with Merritt Paulson that that it's bad of what Jurgen's trying to do. Because, I, uh, again, I think both you and I agree, if you want to be the best player you can be, you need to challenge yourself. And you are going to challenge yourself by going and playing in one of the top uh, leagues in the world. Oh, and those happen to be in Europe. Well, I mean, here's my deal. Personally, I think it's, um, I think it could be interpreted as a, as an intent from Jordan Morris. Um, I think it could be interpreted as him saying, you know what? I don't want that challenge. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable here and I want to be comfortable. Um, and I mean, here's the deal: going overseas isn't for everybody. It's true. But you know, as as we're as we're doing this show, I happen to uh, I happen to have Fox Fox Sports Live on, just in the background, and I just happen to be seeing New York Nick highlights. Oh, okay. And you know, who's the New York Nick who has been you know just tearing it up this year? Uh, the young, uh, what's his name, Christoph Porzingis. Yeah, Porzingis. Yeah. You know, Porzingis, the young European. Well, I mean, I mean, here's here's what I'm kind of getting at with that. You know, Porzingis could have easily stayed in Europe and been just the best player in Europe, and never had any problems, had a very comfortable life, and you know, been in his comfort zone. But Porzingis knew he wanted to play in the best league in the world with the best players in the world, so he traveled overseas. To play in the NBA, the best league in the world, and, and that's that's just that that's kind of where my whole point comes to. You know, if you want to play with the best, if you want to push yourself to be the absolute best you can be, it's not going to happen playing in Seattle. It's not going to happen playing in San Jose or you know wherever he's going to end up. Um, you know. You can be the best. I mean, who's who's the best ML- MLS player of all time? I guess are we gonna say maybe Landon? Um, sure. Sure. Well, I mean, that's my thing. You know, I mean, there's my thing. You know, and what's Landon's international? Like, well, you know, if if we went to England tomorrow and they're like, "Oh, you're an American," you know, who's who's the best Amer- who's the best player you know? Oh, Landon Donovan. Huh, that's cute. Yeah. He came off the bench a few times at Everton. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, that's that's just that's his international reputation. Yes, you know, and yeah, he had some good World Cup moments. Don't get me wrong, but you know, to ever be considered one of the best in the world, you got to go to Europe. You know, Dempsey gained that respect. Mm-hmm. Certainly. In England, Clint Dempsey did. Brian McBride did. Um, you know, Tim Howard has. Um, uh, Brad Friedel did, uh, Brad Guzan has, um, Jeff Cameron has, those guys mm-hmm. have gone over there and they've played with the best. Um, uh, Aaron Johansson is, is getting that reputation. Even, um, crap, what's his face? You know, the one who sucks so bad. Josie. <laughs> Yeah, even Josie. You know, I mean, Josie Josie got respect for at least going over there. I mean, and the guy played in the Premier League. Um, Nadia, you know, I almost, you know, someone like a Dempsey or a Josie or a Michael Bradley, guys who went overseas and proved themselves as quality players, I've got no problem with them coming back to MLS more in the latter part of their career. You know, yes, it is easier to play in the United States where you are from the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's good money. You are more guaranteed to be one of the top guys in the team. But, you know, those guys went overseas and proved themselves at least. You know, somebody like Jordan Morris. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of guys don't get the chance to get to go straight to Hoffenheim. Yeah. You know, uh, even Josie, you know, Josie had to – Josie had to come up through the, the lower leagues um, in Scandinavia. Yep. Johansson had to come through the lower leagues, you know, to get a chance to go right into the Bundesliga. Oof. I mean, that's. I mean, that's a that's a great that's a great opportunity. And then another thing, you know, we we look at him here in America. Oh well, what is he? Tw- I'm, I'm guessing Jordan Morris is 21, 22. Uh, I don't even think he's that old. I kind of think he's like 19, but let me let me look it up. Well, I thought he was just a junior in college. So let me let me let me look it up real quick. Uh, okay. 90, 94. So uh, he he just turned 21 so a couple months ago. He'll be ago. 22 this year. Yeah. Okay, so he'll be 22 this year. You know, when it comes to major international football, mm-hmm. 22's not really young anymore. Not terribly, no. I mean, look at, I mean, just just off the top of my head. I mean, Anthony Marcial, you know. Uh, look at Spurs. You know, uh, <laughs> he did. Yeah, I mean, yes, half of Spurs squad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these guys are, you know, they're if they're the same age as Jordan Morris, you know, they're not just starting their first season in MLS. You know, these guys are playing and competing for a top four spot in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I see it as kind of a, a an announcement of, of intent from Jordan Morris that, you know, you know what, maybe this kid isn't going to be the great savior that we thought he would be. Well, and you know, I maybe guess he just doesn't. I, I don't think he, to me, it's it screams to me, I don't have the, I don't have the guts to go for it. 
Well, and then the question becomes, and I, I don't know that I necessarily disagree or agree with you to that extent. Uh, I, I'm not saying that's okay. not part of it, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if I would push it that far. I would, I would hope that his his wanting to go to to train with Werder Bremen at all signals an intent that he would like to go and play in a top European league at some point. I, I, I hope that's what I'm taking from it, um, and that maybe he just wanted to start close to home. I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong though. Um, the, the, the question I have now is, is that you, you pretty clearly explained how you felt. Um, I, and I think we're in agreement with people needing to go overseas to, to prove themselves. So so what would we say to Merritt Paulson then, who is a guy who, who, right or wrong, is trying to grow the game here in America, and he believes, again, rightly or wrongly, that the way to do it is to keep American talent here and grow the game domestically. So, So where do you... Where do you kind of reconcile those two things, I guess, is the question. Because I, I think at this point, neither neither side is wrong. I think both Klinsmann and the United States men's national team, as well as MLS owners, have both valid points. But they, they almost seem like you can't have one with the other. They, they almost seem mutually exclusive well, well, goals. Well, the problem is they both have completely separate agendas. Right, that's what I'm saying. They have they have mutually yeah. exclusive goals. So so how do you how do you reconcile that? Um, I really don't know how you do unless you get unless there happens to be a men's national team coach who just loves MLS. Um, and Klinsman is not that guy. You know, Klinsman is a he's a European guy. Um, he believes in uh, he believes in Europe. He believes in uh, players going to Europe because he believes that's the best football. MLS owners, I mean, I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. MLS owners, the only reason that they truly care that American players stay in America and get good is because, you know, if Jordan Morris becomes a stud on the U.S. national team and he stays in MLS, guess what? Ticket that sales. That sells tickets in MLS. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all they're worried about is the MLS product. Um, I, I just, I don't think MLS owners, if, if the players are good in MLS, that's all they care about is that they're good in MLS. They mm. don't care if they, and I know this kind of sounds a little cheap, but they don't care that a player ever reaches maybe his absolute full potential. Mm-hmm. They just hope that they can reach an MLS potential because that sells MLS tickets and that puts people talking about MLS at, and that's at, all they're worried about. They can care. They can care less that the premier league or the Bundesliga or La Liga, they could care less that they even exist to, to play devil's advocate though. Isn't that the point of owning a team though is at, at the end of the day, it's, yeah. it's, it's for the prestige of saying, look, I can buy a sports, a major sports franchise and then to make money off of it. Oh, well, absolutely. And that's the thing. That's where, you know, to me, if I'm Jurgen Klinsmann, I don't give a right fuck about what these guys are saying because MLS owners are not pushing my product. MLS owners want my players to play in MLS. So then they can say, oh, well, we have a, we have the United States you know, right midfielder. Right. Of course they do. If I'm Klinsmann, I'm worried solely and strictly about 
I need to develop the absolute best players I can have developed. Mm-hmm. And where's the development better? Is the development better in Portland or is the development better in the Bundesliga? That's where Klinsman's coming from is he wants those players to live up to their full potential to play for the United States national team. And, and I agree with you. I just, I so, worry, and, and believe me, I agree with everything you're saying right now. I, I worry that the, these comments, as they continue, just further further damage what Klinsman is trying to do. And I, I know we probably come off on this podcast to an extent as Klinsman apologists. I, I, I just, I feel like the, these comments, when said out loud, and and believe me, uh, Klinsman kind of did the same thing when he, uh, when he eviscerated Fabian Johnson in the public. Um, but I, I just don't see what good this does an owner to, and as as people in MLS have done just continually calling out Klinsman and trying to undermine him in the public's perception i just i don't think it does any good to anyone well no but i mean once again it's um i mean literally tomorrow if you could get all the MLS owners together if you gave them the the sole choice does Klinsman stay or go you wouldn't even need a second vote They would all vote to get rid of Klinsman immediately because, once again, Klinsman does not fit into their agenda. Klinsman is trying to take the valuable products that they have access to and get them to go somewhere else. Right. I mean, Klinsman would absolutely love to have on a 20... How big's the roster when you go? 23-man roster. Klinsman would love for 20 of those guys to be playing in England and Germany. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the MLS owners would rather have 23 guys who play in MLS <laughs> because that pushes MLS. Yeah. It's not, it's not about the U S national. I mean, you look at England, mm-hmm. Let, let's just, let's just take England for example, real quick. Um, you know, yes, as a, as a Liverpool fan, you may also be an England fan just because naturally, well, yeah, you know, we pull for England. But, I mean, what do I say every single time camp comes up? My God, don't hurt Sturridge. Yes. I don't give a shit if he plays for England, don't hurt Sturridge. Right. So it, it comes down to what is more, what what do you care about more? Are you a national team guy or are you a club guy? Well, and here, here's my question. I, th- I think that this would be a good, and I'm trying to pull it up now if uh, my internet will let me here. Uh, I'm trying to, let's see. Okay, here's the, uh, here's the current squad for, for this little men's national team uh, some people may have heard of uh, called Argentina. They're not. They're not. They're not the women's national team, but they're okay. No. Uh, here, here's their current squad. Uh, goalkeeper includes uh, Manchester United Sergio Romero. Uh, defensemen include uh, Martin De Michaelis of Manchester City, Nicolas Otamendi from City, Marcos Rojo from United, and Ramiro Funes More from Everton, who we managed mes- uh, mentioned earlier. In the mm-hmm. midfield, you have Barcelona's Javier Mascherano. PSG's Angel de Maria, Sevilla's Efer Banega, uh, Lazio's Lucas Biglia, Enzo Perez from Valencia, Eric Lamella from one Tottenham Hotspur, and others. Uh, and in forward, you have Gonzalo Iguin at Napoli, Ezekiel Lavezzi from PSG, Angel Correa from Atletico, and Pablo Paolo Dybala from Juventus. 
And of course, Argentina has some guy you may have heard of who plays for uh, Barcelona called Lionel Messi, aka the best player in the world. I don't think that many people in Argentina really give a shit that all their best players are playing over in Europe as long as they keep battling for a World Cup. I mean, they're not sitting there screaming, oh, God, you've got to play the four guys from River Plate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I... You know, or, or, oh, God, or you need these guys from Boca Juniors. So in the but, entire team, there's there's four people from Argent- on our Argentina club, two from a Mexican club. The rest are from Europe. Exactly. And that's exactly what Jurgen Klinsmann would like to have. Um, but, but, see, here's the thing. You know, in Argentina, they, they understand that your Boca Juniors, your River Plate, while, yes, those are the main teams in Argentina, they also understand that when Barcelona comes calling or when Manchester City comes calling or, you know, when Porto comes calling or, you know, Benfica, that's a step up. They understand that's a step up. And it's like... And see, here's the thing. You can't tell American fans. You can't tell American fans that their that their product is subpar to oh fucking Europe. What? Right. We ain't subpar to Europe. We're America. So you know you can't sell that to anyone. You can't, and you certainly can't tell an American business owner. Well, you know it, it's a it's a really good job that you guys are doing, but you know Europe, they're better. Yeah. Because you know these guys just don't buy. No, we're just as good. No, you're not. No, you're 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 you're, you're not yet. Deal with that. No, you're not. Maybe one you're day in the forty. That's fine. I I think they could. I think they could one day overtake Syria, but who knows? That's that's still maybe twenty thirty years off. Um, we just talked about that for way longer than I thought we were going to. So uh, I do have a couple more stories here. Uh, one really quickly I will mention is uh, is the somewhat odd situation, um, or maybe it will be less odd when we find out more information in a couple weeks. But uh, Jorge Sampaoli, who we just mentioned last week, was a uh, third-place finisher for FIFA Burundi or Manager of the Year, has resigned as the manager of the Chile men's national team just six months after winning uh, the 2015 Copa America. Uh, Chile now have to find a new man to take over in their quest for uh, qualifying for Russia 2018. Uh, Sam Paoli actually will have to uh, pay back some of the money on his deal, part of the 6.3 million euros that were left on it, uh, and as well as all the uh, his entire bonus for winning Copa America. Uh, and according to Opta Javier on Twitter, uh, Jorge Sampaoli won 61% of the games and guided Chile to win their first Copa America in history. Um, it does look like there is a chance he will be moving to uh, a, a European club, actually, and taking over as a, a club team coach. So uh, as someone who has done some remarkable things in Chile, uh, maybe he might even be linking up with Alexis Sanchez Sanchez at some point. Uh, we'll see, uh, depending on how that goes and uh west last story we're going to get to but we just we really don't have enough time to talk about it is the uh the real madrid atletico madrid transfer ban yeah oh we kind of get to that but we could save it we'll save it we'll save it for next week because you know what today it just came out or yesterday that uh real madrid in as part of their big old temper tantrum that they're having uh now suspect 
that Bayern Munich tipped off FIFA that it resulted in this transfer ban. That's what it was. Those damn Germans. Damn Germans. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that next week because Ed, as we always know, tomorrow, you know, we, we always record our show on Wednesday night. And that means Thursday morning is the absolute hotbed of everything new breaking. So I'm sure we'll have a new development in this before we get back to it. Yeah, so just real quick, if you haven't heard, uh, both both clubs are being fined and uh, both will lose a, uh, a transfer rights uh, or to try and register players in both the summer period coming up uh, uh, in the, the summer break for 2016 as well as winter 2017's transfer window. So, uh, but as I said, we will we will get to all this next week uh right now though uh we are going to head to our other big story of the week and wes i think i think it's time we we finally we finally addressed this subject um because at one point we were actually running advertisements for one of these things so here we go um it's come out today actually that uh, FanDuel, one of the uh, those daily fantasy sites, uh, has uh, begun laying off uh, people uh, after it became known that Texas is going to disallow them from running their operations there. Um, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's statement that daily fantasy sports would be considered illegal gambling in a state, much as like uh, online poker, um, which is uh, the latest in a trend. There's also both them and the more also widely known uh, fantasy site, which used to have a message on our podcast, DraftKings, uh, is currently in a legal battle as well in New York. Uh, they're they're currently in the midst of uh, a legal battle up there. Uh, the two companies actually spent a combined thirty one million dollars on advertising, uh, and ran nine thousand ads in one week alone during the NFL's twenty fifteen regular season. So um, it, it looks like West. I think I heard every one of. Them. Yeah, yeah, you you and me both. Um, it seems like we have seen a, a, a very meteoric rise and almost meteoric fall of, of daily drafting uh, fantasy sites. Um, as you mentioned, we, we, we were inundated, not just you know the ones on, that you should obviously have checked in on through this podcast, but, uh, but everywhere you look, TV, radio, uh, internet websites, you know, banner ads. It, it didn't matter. You know, I, I watched Hulu. And somehow I was still getting ads from DraftKings. Um, and, and all of a sudden now, it, it looks like the government is just completely trying to crack down on this, just like they did uh, about five or six years ago with online poker. Um, so, so, Wes, is this... You know, we've heard that FanDuel has started delaying payments to customers uh, as, as recently as November. Is this kind of the beginning of the end of the daily fantasy sports website, at least in its current incarnation? Um, maybe definitely in the kind of widespread um, saturation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New York first, Texas next. You've got to figure there's going to be more states coming. Um and I mean, I almost wonder if this is going to maybe end up being like a Nevada thing again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to totally get into all of my thoughts on gambling and the legalization of gambling. I personally don't have a problem with it. Neither do I. Um, I also, <laughs> I've, I've always considered myself it. I'm, I'm more of a fiscal conservative, socially liberal. Oh yes, um, we know that. I've, yeah, I've got a lot of things that I wouldn't mind legalizing. <laughs> <laughs> I think gambling is one of them. Let's put it this way, folks: if the mafia sold it, I'm probably down with it. <laughs> don't ask where that um, fur coat came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just, uh, I believe you're starting to see the big cracks in it. Mm-hmm. Um, New York was the first crack. And now, I mean, Texas is just, Texas just holds so much esteem in this country, it seems like, mm-hmm. that I've just, I've got to assume that if New York and now Texas are going after them, there's going to be, there's going to be more to come. And I, I almost wonder if it's going to be just state by state outlawing it until, you know, maybe it's legal in, say, Nevada, um, the Dakotas, uh, maybe New Mexico, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all those kind of outlier states. Um, and, of course, in the North Carolina mountains on the Indian reservations. Uh, yes. But I, I just see it kind of going that way. I think they've had their heyday. Um, for their sake, I hope their executives made lots and lots of money. I'm sure um, they did. Because Yeah, I'm sure they did because I'm just sure I've got a feeling that um, the, uh, the days of them ruling the world for as brief as it was, the days of them ruling the world at the moment are going to be over very soon. Yeah, I think that bubble just kind of popped a little bit. And I just, I, I, I have to wonder... What was the purpose of trying to grow so hard so fast that that you felt the need to completely inundate and saturate the market with your advertising? I mean, b- both of them, FanDuel and DraftKings among, and there's you know, a couple other minor ones out there. But I just, as was mentioned, you know, you had 9,000 ads in one week. You, you had to know. Someone in marketing had to know hey, you know, we, we keep doing this, and even though we say it's not gambling, it's very close to gambling, and if we keep talking about this out in the open, you know, eventually the government, as government wants to do, rightly or wrongly, they, they like to they like to stop fun things, no matter how you feel about these sites, um, and, and someone was... Exactly, they stop your foot. Yeah, someone was going to take notice. Uh, so I just I feel like you know there's there's a reason in the prohibition era they called the places that served alcohol speakeasies because you spoke easy of them. You didn't go out shouting, "Hey guys, back here there's booze." We drinking, we drinking, y'all. We back here, we drinking. Oh, so I just I I I have to to question if it if at the end of the day. Fans, uh, daily fantasy sites go the way of online poker, where it's it's very relegate, very regulated. You know, maybe only a handful of places in America you can actually play, like maybe Las Vegas and Atlantic City, and maybe a couple others. I, at the end of the day, no matter what your feelings are on the legality of it, whether it is gambling or not, I, I really feel like these sites just kind of did it to themselves. Um. Well, I mean, I, I think definitely the reason why they saturated so hard was, I mean, here's the deal, Ed, you know, fantasy sports have just become so big in this country 
because, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to say you or I were immune to that. We've obviously played our share of fantasy football in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fans nowadays, they don't just want to watch the football game anymore. They want to feel like they have a part in something. Right. And fantasy football was literally the closest thing you were going to get to, you know, well, hey, I'm drafting my players. I'm building the team I want to build. I'm smarter than this guy. It, it, it is fun. I always had a lot of fun playing it with my buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, I mean, here I am. And, you know, you've been in leagues with me. You know, we get together. We have our draft. We talk a lot of shit. We have some drinks. And, you know, we all guarantee that we're going to beat each other's ass throughout the year. And it's fun. It's a good time. Um, and, you know, and at the end of the year, if you win the league, you win your little money. Well, then these daily fantasy leagues, they took that and it's kind of like they, they took it. They took it to the next level. It's like, well, now you don't have to wait till the end of the season. Yeah. You can get paid every week and you can prove to everyone that you're smarter than them. It doesn't just have to be your friends anymore. You can show everybody that you're smarter than them. And it just it played on the it played on the um, the feelings of uh, twenty two to forty year old males who think they're smarter than everybody else, and and are borderline addicted to gambling. Yes. <laughs> um, and and they took it. They went with it. They saturated the hell out of it because it is NFL season. It's obviously their biggest time of the year. And, you know, if you just keep telling them and tell them and tell them, eventually they figure 90% of guys who are playing fantasy football, they're at least going to try it out. Mm-hmm. And by God, if they win five bucks that first week, they will be back and they'll be paying whatever it is to try to win a million bucks. So and here's kind of my other thing. If Obviously, I, I just I don't believe they would have started this campaign not thinking there could be some backlash and ramifications somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm almost wondering if they were like, you know what? Eventually we're going to get shut down. Let's just see how much money we can make before we do. Yeah. I think that could have something to do with it. A bit of a smash and grab, you'd say. Ah, smash and grab. Get that cash while you can. Oh, that's oh. depressing. Rap music's built on it. Get the cash while you can. Uh, NWA itself. Uh, Wes, with, on that note, let's hit the watch four. And speaking of that, that you know, straight out of Compton documentary that came out last year. Uh, what are you watching in the week that was or the week that will be? In a sad, a sad watch for me this week. Um, you know, last week, Ed, we went off the air. Um, you know, giving our condolences and our memories of uh, the great David Bowie. Yeah. Here we are a week later, <laughs> and uh, here goes Glenn Fry from the Eagles. <laughs> and and we didn't even get a chance to mention because it literally happened between the time we recorded and published the podcast, which was like twelve hours. Um, Alan Rickman also passed. That's right. That's right. 2016 is the year of cool people dying. Apparently, this sucks. Um, I'm glad I'm. I'm glad I'm not cool anymore. So I should be okay for 2017. Yeah. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Glenn Fry passing away, was it Tuesday? I believe so, yeah. Tuesday, yeah. No, no, it was Monday. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, yeah. Monday, uh, passed away on Monday. Um, if you don't know, Glenn Fry was, uh, was one of the founding members of the Eagles, um, sang, played guitar all around, just a great musician, um, you know, I uh, had a had a guest role in Miami Vice, which automatically made him extremely cool because nothing's cooler than Miami Vice. Um, so here we are, and uh, I, I was I was kind of flipping around Netflix earlier today, and um, and while while I was listening to <coughs> Colin Cowherd. And Colin Cowherd was uh, kind of eulogizing Glenn Fry. He was a big, Colin Cowherd is a big Eagles fan. And he mentioned that there is a fantastic documentary about the Eagles on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it's called, simply enough, The History of the Eagles. Um, Two and a half hours long. It's long. It is phenomenal. That's what I came home and watched before I got on with you tonight. Um a lot of footage from back in the 70s when they were coming up. You get literally literally the entire story of the Eagles. The music in it's amazing. Uh, a lot of uh, never-before-seen stuff. It is absolutely fantastic. Once again, it is on Netflix. It's called The History of the Eagles. If, uh, if, you, enjoyed, um, if you enjoyed the Eagles, if you were a fan, it's awesome. If you're a fan of just music in general, the 70s, rock music, um, it's it's as good as anything I've seen. Just a fantastically put together documentary. Uh, so I do recommend it. History of the Eagles on Netflix. Oh well, there you go. Um, I let me think. What am I watching this week? Um, I I will be watching Agent Carter. Haven't didn't get a chance to watch her uh, uh, season two premiere last night on ABC. Uh, so I will have to be checking that out on Hulu. I currently have that in the queue, the uh, the two-part season premiere. I'll be checking that out. Um, really, though, I've just been playing still a ton of Xenoblade Chronicles X because it's so damn good. Oh, I just, I I cannot. I, oh, this, this is the first game in, like, forever where I feel like progression actually makes you feel more like a badass. Uh, and that's that's what I love. I just I I want to go from cowering little baby, afraid of everything, to okay, come at me, bro. Oh, you're dead. And that's that's where I am with this game right now. I still run and hide a little bit, but not nearly as much as I used to. And that's a good thing. So I'm I'm just super enjoying my time with it. Uh, I think I've. I gotta check. I think I've sunk so far close to fifty hours into this game, and I maybe maybe like a third of the way through so i still got about 100 plus hours to go go me um so i will be i will be watching this game for probably the next six months at least if not more so you'll you'll finally you'll hear don't worry captive audience you'll hear when i finally beat it which will be i don't know 2017 probably so that's gonna do it for watch four uh, that means there's only one thing left to do, Wes, and that is to get so raw. That's right, guys. Get your Vaseline. Get whatever petroleum gel you use to lubricate. Because I don't want you guys to get too raw. Out no. There. 
But at this point, we are going to get so raw. And it was the go-home show for the Royal Rumble on Monday Night Raw. Uh, we've set our storylines. It is one of the most highly anticipated Royal Rumbles in recent history. Um, it will be the first time since 1992 that the winner of the Royal Rumble will walk out with the World Championship. Of course, in 1992, it was a vacant title. Mm. Um, this time, Roman Reigns walks in the champion. Oh, and by the way, he's going to be the number one entrant in, so he's going to have to go the whole way if he wants to win this thing. Um, just shocking how Roman was named number one out of there. I mean, they even pulled out the uh, the big um, the big roller with the balls in it and picked balls, and God, every one of them had Roman's name on it that came out. Just shocking. I, I don't believe that would happen. That's That seems so far-fetched. I mean, it's just extremely, uh, you know, just extremely, uh, I've forgotten my word. (laughs) Whatever it was going to be, you actually meant the opposite of that word. It was fantastic. Um, Just extremely coincidental. That's what I was going for. There you go. That uh, that Roman Reigns just happened to be picked every time. Yeah. So Roman's going to be number one coming into the Rumble. Um, We're starting to see some kind of side storylines um, that look like they're coming together for the Royal Rumble. Um, the uh, the League of Nations, of course, continuing to attack Roman Reigns. That's, that's kind of a continuation of one. Um, last week, we had Brock Lesnar come back. Um, Brock starts suplexing everybody, F5s everyone, shows no mercy. This week, to end Raw, uh, Brock comes out. Anyway, we have a, a melee... Uh, Brock's getting beaten down, and then suddenly in comes, uh, well, Brock's getting beaten down, and then Brock starts once again suplexing and F5-ing everyone. So it's basically Brock and Roman Reigns in the ring, and all of a sudden the lights go out, and here comes the Wyatt family. Oh, yeah. All four of them. They take out Reigns, then they actually go into taking out Lesnar. Um, and Raw kind of ends with uh, Lesnar being absolutely beaten down, which is something that you just don't see. So it really looks like WWE is maybe pushing toward a WrestleMania match featuring Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt, which is highly intriguing because, you know, you have the most dominant guy in the sport and Brock Lesnar against the guy who has maybe the most dominant faction in the sport, and that's the Wyatts. Um, It's hard to stop a guy when he has three giant monsters watching his back at all times. So um, that's definitely one I'm interested in seeing. Uh, we're going to get a last man standing match at the Royal Rumble for the Intercontinental title. That's going to be Dean Ambrose and Kevin Owens. You know, I'm absolutely loving that. Such a mark for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this feud thus far. I'd love to see it keep going, uh, but I have enjoyed what I've seen thus far of it. Um, I mean, that Raw, Raw was basically, it, it was kind of a slow week on Raw overall. Just as like I said, they were setting up those storylines for uh, for the Royal Rumble. Now the fun part is the Royal Rumble coming up this Sunday from Orlando on January 24th. Don't forget, folks, uh, you can get the WWE Network for free this month Oh, to watch the Royal Rumble. So if you're interested, sign up. You get a free month. Uh, getting to watch the Rumble. Good times. Um one of the interesting things every year about the Royal Rumble, of course, it's 30 entrants. Number one and number two start the match, and then every two minutes, another mm-hmm. 
competitor comes out uh, in a random order, and so you never know who's coming out. Um, every year you kind of you, you get excited because there's always a handful of surprise entrants in there. Uh, sometimes it'll be some legends. Uh, sometimes it'll be guys coming back from injury that we haven't seen for a while. Sometimes you never know. You could get a cool new debut. Um, the Dirt Sheets are reporting this week that AJ Styles, mm. the, the phenomenal one AJ Styles, will be at the Royal Rumble and will also be at Raw the night after the Royal, Royal Rumble. Uh, one of the most highly anticipated WWE debuts in years is one everybody's waiting to see. Um, could he be an entrant into the rumble or maybe they just hold him for the night after on raw either way, more AJ styles in my life. Well, just AJ styles in my life on a WWE set. That's good. That's good for the product. Um, also, there's people thinking, you know, Finn Balor could debut, uh, just, just a lot of moving parts every year for the rumble. Uh, it is it is maybe the most exciting pay-per-view of the year. Take away, obviously, take away WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. It is an exciting one every year because of that factor of you just don't know what's going to happen. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It is very anticipated. My pick, do you want my official pick, Ed? Sure. Go ahead and get it in. My official pick is that with the number 30 entry, the final entry of the Royal Rumble, Triple H will come out, will win the Rumble, and will take the World Championship all the way up to WrestleMania. Oh, that's a plot line. Because I believe Triple H has tried to get, he's he's used everyone on the roster to try to stop Roman Reigns. No one's been able to do it. Mm-hmm. And Ed, when no one else can get something done for you, at the end of the day, you might as damn well do it yourself. There you go. And that's just what I believe is going to happen. So my pick to win the Rumble triple h oh i wish it was brennan williams i wish he would win the royal rumble he's not winning the royal rumble he's probably not even going to be in the royal rumble no he probably won't be in the building Uh, well actually if if he's down in nxt i I have a good feeling all the nxt people will be there uh uh, since it is in orlando and of course that's where nxt is based is out of orlando all right well maybe he'll be there in the building and then he will look on and say one day that belt will be mine. Someday. For I am the great black otaku. Of course. I love you, Brennan Williams. Anyway. I'm glad you have someone to pull for. It. Exactly. That's that's what you've desperately been wanting is for me to have someone to pull for. Uh, well, we hope you all at home listening to this pull for this podcast. Uh, this has been the Foreign Affair Podcast episode 90. Uh, we will be back next week with another great pod to speak of uh where we'll be doing plenty with uh the premier league matches going on this weekend um and that's really about it and so we'll probably be able to get to that real madrid atletico madrid transfer ban talk because uh, there's not too much else going on we'll be setting up an fa cup preview weekend uh but that's really about it and we'll of course have another big story of the week to get to um hopefully it will not be that wes wants to kill himself 
because he'll have to endure another week and a half of hearing about the Panthers going oh. to the Super Bowl. Um, and, and it'll be something better than that. It'll be something go better. Go Cardinals. There you the go. West side, as we all know, is the best side. No, oh, West Coast, best coast. Um, and, of course, we'll have another edition of Watch For and So Raw. Real quick, two things before we do go, Wes, because we do have a minute or two left. Um, I did want to mention, one, we, we do a lot of dumb NFL stories. Like, we try to do one weekly if we can. Um, I, I want to give half-hearted props to the Buffalo Bills for for signing the the first official assistant head, female assistant head coach uh, to their team. Uh, makes her the first uh, female assistant coach in the league. Um, she will be the, I believe, the chief uh, quality control officer of special teams. If I, if I read this right... Did I read this? That's not the article I wanted at all. I hate you, ESPN. <laughs> I hate that's not. There we go. Catherine Smith. There we go. She'll be the special teams quality control coach. Uh, she was the administrative assistant to head coach Rex Ryan this season uh, after working 12 years with the Jets. So she is the first official um, female assistant uh, NFL head coach. Um, just stay away from Greg Hardy. Also, Breaking news from literally like an hour ago. Apparently there have been leaked documents um, that have come out of uh, Gareth Bale's uh, contract uh, transfer to Real Madrid from Tottenham that apparently says uh, Tottenham has first right to match any offer that any other club decides to make. So if United, for whatever reason, said like $40 million, and they and then Real agreed to it. If Tottenham pays Real forty million, they get Gareth Bale back. Interesting. Which means and I always wonder, I always wonder how that works because I mean, not to say Gareth Bale would do this, but you know, what if the player was like, I I, I don't really want to go back. Uh huh. Yeah. I just I kind of wonder how it would work. Well, what I what what more than likely means is not not so much that Gareth Bale may be on his way back to Tottenham. What it means more is that. If if either Rail wants to try and have their firestorm sale in January or wait until next year or whatever, if they decide to to d- have Gareth Bale depart from them, Tottenham can basically try and jack up the price just by the fact that they can re-sign him by matching a- another offer. So that being a holes. Yes. So for one, for one more time, thank you, Daniel Levy for being the shrewd, shrewd businessman that you are. If this is true, this is absolutely amazing. I don't for one second think Tottenham is getting Gareth Bale back. But if it screws Manchester United, it's it's a win in my book. That's all that really matters at the end of the day, yes. is that we say, fuck you, United. Yes, and that's what we do a lot here on the Foreign Affair Podcast, brought to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. We never stop. You can find them on Twitter at NGSC Sports. Find us at AFA Pod. Wes, you are? At Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. You can email us as well uh, through our sister show, the All New Sports Show. That's All New Sports Show at gmail.com. You can mail us letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. So, Wes, do you have anything to add before we get out of here for the night? Uh, two words to describe Eastern North Carolina for the week bread and milk. Bread and milk. Ah, oh, bread no. And milk. Oh no, is there is there sugar on the road? Oh no. 
my God. Folks, I tell you, I don't know. We obviously don't know all the climates that our loyal listeners come from. But folks, if you have ever known Eastern North Carolina, if if someone even says, hey, we think it's going to snow. My God. It's like everybody just drinks milk and eats fucking loaf bread. Yeah, got to stock up because you you have no idea how bad that inch to inch and a half of snow is going to be for getting to the grocery store. It's going to be awesome. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, you know, for me personally, I need to stock up on ice because my ice maker don't work. But, you know. There you go. So I need some bag of ice and some tea bags. I'll be happy. You you can probably still find those. I made some sweet that's oh, not too bad uh but in a in a moment of seriousness uh the there is a winter storm that looks like it's gonna be hitting the northeast of the united states so if you are in that region that's gonna get that's hit uh stay safe is what i was going to say stay safe to our loyal podcast listeners please stay safe um so, so for a man who obviously cares about you west bradshaw i am edward green mm-hmm. thanks for joining us here on episode 90 of a foreign affair podcast we will catch you guys next week same time same day same podcast address until then have a safe weekend everyone good night montreal they know how to drive in the snow yeah year round yeah uh, I heard apparently in Montreal this year they didn't get their first snow until like December 28, 29. I bet people are freaking out because it wasn't snow. Yeah, they they were. They actually were. You are you're correct. Hey, you olders, what are we gonna do? It's not snowing. Holy jeez, how are we gonna cool our pants? Yeah. Listening to NGSE Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSEsports.com where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSE Sports YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NGSE Sports and like us on Facebook. NGSE Sports. We never stop.